If you would, open in your Bibles to Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. And before we we read this text, I just want to kind of introduce it a little bit. Um, One of my friends has been trying to get me for years to to see a movie called To End All Wars. I don't really know much about it. Um, But just keep saying, you got to see it, you got to see this. And I don't know if you have friends who do that to you, like you've just got to see this movie. For me, that makes me think I'm just never going to watch the movie. It's just kind of the way I am. Um, Even though they they say, you know, you see this movie, it's incredible, it's going to change you. I'm thinking, I don't want to go to a movie that's going to change me. That's just, that's not me. I don't want to go for some big emotional experience. Um, Lauren and I, when we go to see a movie, which might be once every other year if we could get out... um, it's going to have to be a comedy, some kind of distraction, something like Dumb and Dumber, um, Zoolander, something like that that we're going to have to see. I don't want a life-changing movie. Um, Rwanda, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. I know that those are amazing movies, um, but I can remember being so anxious about going to see them. Because I knew when I, I did go to see them, I, I would leave with a different perspective. I'd be so emotionally engaged. Um, I've actually never even made it through Rwanda. The text that we are looking at tonight is like one of those movies. Um, the text would be rated R because it has to be in order to convey the emotions that need to be conveyed. You simply could not do it in a G-rated text. So, this text is graphic. It is semi-pornographic. It's raw with emotion. It is not easy to read. Jewish children were not allowed to read this. You had to be a grown Jewish adult before you were allowed to even look at this text. And so you're not going to find this in any kind of illustrated children's Bible even today. Ezekiel 16, we'll begin in chapter, or verse 1. Again the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say... Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abandoned, or for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. 
When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown, and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became His. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men. And with them played the whore. And he took her embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with the fine flour of oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And he took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and wallowing in your blood. Go to verse 30. How sick is your heart declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square. Yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. Look at verse 62. I will establish my covenant with you 
and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, these are weighty words from you. Hard words to hear. But we need to hear them. So don't let me get in the way. Don't, don't as tempted as I might be, don't let me soften your words. That's not my job. My job is to make clear your words. And so that's what I ask now through your Holy Spirit that you bring clarity and power to your words. Don't let me get in the way. I pray that my words would fall to the ground, blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. May they hit their mark and change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, At 63 verses, Ezekiel 16 is the longest prophecy in the Bible. It is longer than the entire books of Jonah, Nahum, Haggai, Obadiah. Um, And and so just, I mean, just this alone should get our attention as to the magnitude of this text. But what really sets this apart is the emotion that is there. It's just a lot different than other texts in the Bible. There's so much emotion. You know, last night at Urban Standard at our theological coffee house, we went through the book of Romans... And in Romans, Paul, he really takes his time to methodically and and systematically explain his gospel, the gospel of God. And he uses words like, you know, sanctification, um, justification, propitiation. He uses all of these, these words to help us understand the gospel. And it's a very intellectual letter. You have to use all of your mental energy to, to kind of work through his arguments and understand his gospel. Ezekiel 16 is the complete opposite of this. They're both gospel, but it's the complete opposite of Romans. We get the same theology, but now we get it in the form of a story and in the form of raw emotion. And so for a brief moment, we actually get this little peek into God's heart to see how he views our sin. You can find the events that are being described here in in 2 Chronicles, but in 2 Chronicles, you're going to go and you're just going to see it like a, a historian just describing the events. This is more like a journal, God journaling about what has happened. And you're going to get a whole range of emotions. Ezekiel here is speaking in particular to Israel. More specifically, he is speaking to Jerusalem. Um, These words are just as easily directed at us because the sins that are talked about, we we, we sin in the same way. Um, So I want us to look at this range of emotions that the Lord goes through. The story starts with a birth. Um, Usually a birth story is a happy story. It's a joyful story. I can tell you in detail about the birth of all three of my little girls. Um, It was a joyous time. 
Not here. Look at verse 4. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And so a baby girl is born here, yet this this baby's never washed, never clothed. This baby's just discarded like trash, which was fairly common in this day. People saw this child wallowing in its own uterine blood. They heard this child, and they didn't have compassion. They, They didn't even turn towards this child. This child was abhorred. And when we See that graphic picture. I hope you see yourself and your condition. That's everyone in this room because you were dead or as good as dead in your sins. We, we saw that last night in Romans 6.33. It says that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and so we reap death. You have no hope unless somebody comes and saves you. Before Christ, you couldn't crawl, you you couldn't feed yourself, you couldn't wash or clothe yourself. There was no one to come to your aid. And so, what Ezekiel is doing here, he's describing the most helpless of all situations. But then Yahweh, the Lord, saw you, He came, and He rescued you. Um, He looked at you wallowing in your own blood and said, live. And I love this. To, to communicate the power of this, this entire sentence is repeated in Hebrew. It says, and the Lord saw you in your own blood and said, live. I said to you in your blood, live. And God's word re- never returns void. It accomplishes its purpose. And when he looked at you and he said, live, you came alive. The the same God who said, let there be light and boom, there's light. Let there be stars, there's stars. Let there be the earth and there's earth. The same God who spoke creation into existence looked at you at one point, dead in your sins, and said, live. And no power of sin could keep you dead. You came alive. He gave you life. And you did nothing to deserve those words. You did not earn those words. God was not looking at you and somehow impressed. He spoke those words because He is merciful and gracious. We come to verse 7 and 8 and we see that this child grows up like a weed. She becomes mature. She becomes beautiful. And then we get this switch of metaphor here. Um, The metaphor switches from a father loving his daughter, his adopted daughter, to now it's a man loving his bride. Um, If if you remember, I mean, as you know, we call God our Father. And then we call Jesus, who is equally God, we call Him, He's our bridegroom. And we see both of those images here. Um, and, And the reason that... God goes by the, you know, by title of father or by bridegroom is because he's trying to show you all different facets of his love. 
I, I love my children different than I love my wife. Yet God gave them both as an image so that I can understand his love for us. It helps me complete that picture. And it's why in our, our songs, sometimes our songs resemble love songs of adoration. Sometimes we, we sing you know, about our Father who has adopted us. We, we use a range of songs to try to get the completeness of this love. So the metaphor here, it shifts. In verse 8, when it says that He spread His garment over her nakedness, we're reminded of Ruth and Boaz, that story. If you remember, that's how they got engaged. As Boaz, he spread his garment over Ruth. He said, I'm going to make you mine. After the Lord makes his marriage covenant with this woman, look at all the details that happened here. He, he washed her. He clothed her. He gave her expensive clothes and jewelry. She ate only the best foods. Her beauty was stunning. She becomes royalty. She becomes a princess. And all the nations are in awe of her splendor. And, and that's us. When God, when God saves you and he, he, he makes you beautiful. And you get that language in Ephesians when he says that we were created for good works in Christ. And that we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship is masterpiece. God creates us and we're his beautiful masterpiece. So up to this point, I mean, this is a fantastic story. Um, you you kind of wish it ended there. Um, I, I read to my girls often, unfortunately, what I call twaddle, um, which is just worthless stories, princess stories, you know, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, twaddle. I mean, it's a great word. That's, that's what it is. Every story is the same. Copyright infringement across the board, but it's always some beautiful princess. Maybe doesn't, she doesn't know she's a princess. Some handsome prince comes, rescues her. They, they go, they live happily ever after. It's the same story. And that's, that's what we have described up to here at this point. But then the story continues here. Verse 15, there's a major shift in the text. It begins with the word but. You don't want, after all these good things, to all of a sudden hear the word but. There's a major shift. Before verse 15, all we have read is of the action of the Lord. We haven't read about the actions of this woman at all. The action of the Lord. He, he said, I saw you. I said, live. I said, live. I spread the corner of my garment over you. I made my vow to you. I clothed you. I adorned you. I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears. I bestowed upon splendor upon you. And so, I, 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 I. Now we finally get to see our response. What's our response to all of this kindness? But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. And so God here does not use flowery language to kind of describe our sin. Um, he wants us to see that sin is ugly. Sin is hideous. 
And so he's not going to be polite. He's not going to say, you know what, I saw some of the things that you, you, know, you did that you probably shouldn't have done. You know, I saw some of your youthful indiscretions. He doesn't say that. He's explicitly graphic here because he wants to expose sin. He wants to shine light on sin and all of its ugliness. And if you think this is graphic in English, in Hebrew, it is painful to read. And just, I need to say this to be truthful to Scripture, but I mean, at times it's, it's outright vulgar. There's phrases in Hebrews like this. It says, you woman, spread your legs to every person who passes you by. It's vulgar. But God wants you to know how he feels when we sin against him. He wants you to understand there's a, there's a depth to that hurt. Sometimes we just kind of think, oh, I kind of sinned. Sorry about that, God. No, there's a, a, it's a hurt. He feels like a husband who's just come home to find his wife in bed with another man. And if, if that were to happen, I, I don't know what I'd do. I'd, I'd, I'd want to fight. I'd also want to just get in a ball and cry. I'd want to run away. I'd, I'd have all these emotions because that would just cut me. There's anger and there's hurt. This, this is in sort of similar. M- many years ago, about Six years ago, this happened to, to Lauren and I. You know, we're, we're here, we're, we're living in the city limits and trying to do a good thing. And we, we saw a guy on the side of the street and his wife, um, they needed, obviously needed money. So we picked him up and we're like, hey, we're not going to just give you money. We really want to help you out. So come on. And we brought him to our house, um, Got to hear their stories. Lauren took the wife. She, she obviously needed glasses. She couldn't really see, so she took her to get an eye exam, get some glasses. Um, this man, he needed work. Um, I hired him to paint our house, to paint the inside of our house, which really didn't need painting, and I had to go back later and repaint it. But I just thought, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to hire him to do this, and so uh, give him a job. And so we really kind of bent over backwards to help this couple for a week. Um, we put them up in a hotel for a week. Um, we try to get job interviews, different things like that. And uh, about a week after this, after I'd finally, the last day that I had hired him, I, I went to use my phone, and the phone to our house is dead. This is back when you actually had home phones instead of only cell. And uh, it was dead. And I was like, why in the world is my, the phone dead? So I went looking around, and I went down into the basement where our security system is, and I found that somebody had gone in there and cut all the wires. He had, because he was working in the basement. And so his last day in the job, he went and he cut all of our security system's wires so he could come in later and rob us. And I had such anger. Just, mm. and like, I'm trying to do a good thing. I bend over backwards to help you. I just do all this. And this is what you do to me. I'm just ticked off. And that is the smallest, smallest way what God is feeling. He does all this, all of this. Where's the thanks? God gave us life. Gave us every good gift we have. 
He has showered His affection on us. And in return, we haven't desired Him. We've actually desired the gifts that He's given us way more than Him. We, we take the earrings that He gives us and we melt them down and we bow down to whatever idol we make and we play the whore. So, so look at all the ways that, that God has blessed you. He's, you know, likely for everyone in here, you know, you've, you've got friends, you've got somewhat of an education, you've got a family, respect, food, shelter, you have all these things. Some of you God's given, you know, a good spouse, children, different things like that. They, all those gifts were never meant to be an end in themselves. They were actually just supposed to fuel your love for the one who gave them to you. John Piper likes to say, I love this quote, he says, God's greatest adversary is his gifts. God's greatest adversary is his gifts. And we see that here. We saw it when we went through the book of Exodus. When, when, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. And in Exodus 12, as they are leaving Egypt, it says God put it in the hearts of all the Egyptians to shower them with gold and silver jewelry. As they were leaving, all the Egyptians are giving them gold and silver jewelry that the Israelites can in turn seven chapters later melt it down and turn it into an idol. The very gifts God had given them turned into an idol. The exact same thing you see here in Ezekiel 16. The same thing that we are guilty of all the time. When we take a look at the gifts that God gives us and we try to find our satisfaction in them instead of God. As a parent, if you adore your children more than the Lord, your children are an idol. As a pastor, if I think about this church more than I think about the Lord, I have turned this church into an idol. We do it all the time. It's bad here. But this isn't the end to the unfaithfulness. Look at verse 30. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square. Yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whoring. So God, He says that not only does Israel offer herself to everyone who passes by, Israel doesn't get payment for it. Israel pays others to do this to them. And He says, how lovesick is your heart? Why do you go after lover, after lover, after lover? Verse, verse 28, we didn't read it when we were going through everything, but verse 28 says, you play the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still were not satisfied. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea. And even with this you were not satisfied. How lovesick is your heart. And so we try one thing and we're not satisfied. So we try another and we're not satisfied. So we try another. 
If you're, if you're married, husbands, wives, listen to me. If you're married and your spouse suffers from, from anxiety or something, anxiety, do not go to them and say, everything's going to be okay. Just trust me. Don't ever say that. Because all you said is, you know, maybe they're anxious over, over their, a job or over finances. That's their idol. And you're saying, no, 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 don't make finances your idol. Put it on me. I'll be your idol. No. You don't say, just trust me. You say, trust God. A spouse, always point your other spouse to God. Don't make yourself into an idol. And we do it all the time. I do that all the time. I, so often, I want to fix things. If, if Lauren's having a hard day, I, I just want to say, hey, just trust me. Put it all on me. I can be your joy. I can be, you know, your salvation. I'm nothing more than a golden calf. Verse 38 says that God will judge Israel for her adultery. Verse 40 says he's going to bring people to stone her. And the situation looks terrible. And we come to verse 62. I said this a lot last night. So I'm going to kind of check myself. It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Now hear me. In the rest of the Old Testament, it is always the people who make sacrifices for atonement. You always find that. It's the people who, who bring their sacrifices to atone for their sin. But here, God says, I will atone for your sin. I will atone for it. God will somehow make atonement. There's a similar story to this in John chapter 8. Um, a very familiar story about the woman who's caught in adultery. And if you remember the story, this woman is brought out publicly before Jesus. Somehow she was caught in adultery. They throw her at Jesus' feet. And they say, we're supposed to stone her. And so they all gather stones and they say, what do you think, Jesus? The law says we're supposed to stone her. She's guilty. Everybody knows it. And Jesus looks at them all and he says, okay, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And we love that story. We love applying that to our lives. I love applying that to my lives. But the reality is, if we're going to apply that to us, we need to realize that the story is unfinished. When you read that, it's, it's, it's unfinished. Because, you know, we read everybody drops their stones and walks away. But if you want to apply it to you, you've really got to realize that there is still somebody there who can throw a stone. 
Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone, so they all drop it and leave. But Jesus is described as he who knew no sin. Jesus is there. And he, he could have that stone and he's looking at you who has committed adultery, who has gone after all these other lovers, who has hoarded yourself to people all over, to things all over. You've taken the gifts He has given you. You've melted them down. You've worshipped them. And He's looking at you and He's saying, you have hurt me. When you sin, it has cut me. I made a covenant with you and this is what you have done. breaks my heart. There will be justice. Absolutely there will be justice. It's not going to be a, a, a quick death. This is going to be slow. This is going to be painful because somebody's got to suffer for this. And he looks at you and there's, you are guilty. And in Jesus' eyes would change. He says, but all this is not going to come on you. And he hands that rock to his father. He says, don't, we're not going to stone them, father. You're going to stone me. I will atone for them. Though they are guilty, though they have hurt me, I will atone for them. Judge me. And the wrath of God falls on Jesus. Let me tell you what, God has never stopped saying live to us. He has never stopped saying live. He says, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it to the full. In my presence there is fullness of joy. Don't go to other lovers. Live. I'm asking you to live. And so if you lack faith, hear God speaking to you, live. If you go to other things for your satisfaction, hear God saying, live. If you have a, a spouse or a child or a home and you think that those things are going to satisfy you, hear God saying, live. I will atone for you and you will live. And may that truth, may that gospel truth so change us that, our, that the only thing that can happen of us as we fall on our knees in love and adoration. Adoring the God who has shown a depth of love that is almost impossible to comprehend. To Him we give thanks and we give glory. Pray with me. Jesus, you took the hit we all deserve. Like Ezekiel says, and like Paul said in Romans, we just cover our mouth. We're guilty. We, 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 there's no excuse. We, we don't know what to say. We just cover our mouth. You've seen us, though, in our state. And while we were still enemies, enemies of you, you loved us and you died for us.
Thank you. I pray that that gospel truth would penetrate in our hearts and change us. Maybe some people here for the first time, may they understand the gospel. May they cry out to you for salvation. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.